0: Remain standing for the reading of God's word, John 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Heavenly Father, this portion of your word is like a fire hydrant. There's so much in it. But I pray that we would take at least this, that we are to dwell in Christ, abide in Christ, stay in Christ For it is from Christ that we have life, and he produces whatever he wants to produce in and through us, and that fruit is good and holy and pleasing and glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but this season of the year is tricky, isn't it? At the end of the holiday season, beginning in Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas, life can be so busy that on this Sunday, we're just worn out. We're spent, right? Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, it can be a really lonely time because life is not that busy. And we see the holidays from Thanksgiving to Christmas and we see families gathering and we think of of our loneliness. It makes it worse. It's a very dark time. We can come to this time and and it can be very difficult having gone through that season. Many have expressed uh, to me, and we've had it in our own house, uh, lots of illness this fall. You know, it seems like the colds and bronchitis and et cetera just can last for weeks and people have a hard time. Getting over it. That just adds to it until we come to this point and you can feel empty, spent. In fact, at the beginning of the week, uh, this is a little bit different rhythm pattern for me. Because often I would come and preach through the Advent season and and then you know, Marty or uh, uh, another uh, assistant would, would preach after Christmas. And then I would go to a senior pastor's retreat that this year is a week later. Now go and have fellowship with these pastors who just talk about ministry, kind of get recharged and, and ready to come back and ready to go. And this year, at the beginning of the week, I'm thinking, "I'm preaching two more times before I go to that place for refreshment." And I had the sense of being spent. I wondered if I might happen to get an, an empty glass in the children's sermon in the box. because what an apt description that would be. Do you feel like that at all this morning? It's the end of the year. You've spent yourself. You're empty. What do you do when you're thirsty and you have an empty glass? I think we all have running water in our homes. We go to the spigot. I think somebody's going to turn around and say, no, my water is you know, not working right. The well with some problem. But um, I saw somebody looking and smiling. I thought maybe that's true. But we go to the, the spigot and turn the water on where there's a, an ever-giving stream of water so that we can fill our cups and then we can drink it and be refreshed. Where do we go spiritually? It's interesting to open the Word of God and study it in preparation. That was just life-giving and filling to me. as I would, Because I don't give what I have to give. I give what God has to give. And if you are feeling empty and it's kind of dry, it's been a, a, a hectic time and you're spent, or a lonely time and you're, you're down, or a sick time and, and you're just struggling along, where do you go for that spiritual refreshment? We go to the Lord. How do we go to the Lord? We go to him through his word. And that's what this passage is all about. Jesus says, I am the vine. Abide in me. Now I read from the New International Version, the NIV, and it says remain in me. The Greek word translated remain or abide can have a shallow sense like stay there. Or a fuller sense of live with me. Stay there is like the pet. Uh, We uh, used to have a dog. Her name is Lucy. She provided several illustrations for me. Uh, this is We had a parlor trick uh, that we would show off at uh, dinners at our house, and, and uh, we would put a plate, uh, you would you, clean plate. you know, have, The food would be eaten off of it. There would be vestiges of food on the plate. And we'd say, Lucy, stay. And we'd put the plate right in front of her, and she'd just be trembling. I'd say, sit, and she'd sit down and then stay. And I'd say, pray. And she'd go like that. I would do the hands. She would do the bowed head. Okay. And then she'd leap on that plate. Remain does not mean stay in that sense. It's the fullest sense of the word. It's more like when a marriage is in difficulty and it seems to be about to fall apart. And people would depart from each other. When the people say, no, stay with me. Let's work out our lives together. It's that kind of thing that I think is better translated abide in me and I in you. It's the fullest sense of the word that we are to work out our lives in Christ, with Christ, He in us. And it's this connectedness that is the connection between a branch and the vine. When there's a disconnect, The branch is dead and and withered. Now, I don't know that anybody here owns a vineyard and produces grapes. It's a much better illustration than what we do have in our yards because grapes produce, uh, the the vines produce grapes that are food. The fruit of the, the vine is what the Lord chose to use to symbolize his blood shed for the remission of our sins. There's so much in that that it is nourishing to us. But in our yards, we have oak trees. You can't eat the acorns. It's a limited illustration, but it's right there for us. And we can look out on their yards, and we can tell when the branches are dead. Not at this time of year. They all look dead, don't they? But in the spring, when the leaves come out, the dead branches stand out. They might look like they're connected to the tree, but they're dead branches because the sap of the tree is not flowing through the branch. And it's not producing any leaves. Jesus sets up an allegory with the vines. And and perhaps with the visualization of the oak trees, you you get it even more. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. The setup for this allegory, it's an allegory because there's more one point of connection. And Jesus establishes he's the vine. The father is the gardener. We are the branches. But in the first part of the setup of the allegory, it's just about him and the Father. What's the point of these first two verses in verses 1 and 2? The Father cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. The Pharisees would claim to be the true teachers of Israel. That's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. Not the Pharisees. They're the false teachers. He's the true vine in another sense, too. In the Old Testament, to the image of a vineyard is applied to Israel itself. In Psalm eighty talks about how God brought his vine out of Egypt and planted it in the promised land, and it flourishes as he blesses it. What Israel ought to have been, was called to be, it never fully experienced because it was faithless in so many ways. They were just a shadow, a copy, a picture of the real man of God, Jesus, who's the perfect Israel, the perfect one. And he's the true vine. The others were just sh- shadows, copies, and he's the fulfillment. That whole concept of the Old Testament is the shadow. Christ is the reality is a part of him saying, I'm the true vine. The false teachers claimed to be the fulfillment of those things. They were the heirs ...of the promises of Jesus saying, no, you're fakes. You don't really belong to me, and you're not bearing good fruit. And the Father cuts you off. He cuts back every branch that bears fruit, uh, that it may bear more fruit. Now, that's kind of a somber point, isn't it? It's the end of verse 2. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes... So that it will be even more fruitful. This fits into the concept that God chastens those he loves. We are not perfected until we get to heaven. So there's always work to be done in our lives. We always have the old nature with us, waking up with us every morning. We're always called to deny ourselves. And God brings things into our lives to enable us to grow in our faith and some of those things are stressful things those are the hard things those are the illnesses he allows us to have through Christmas times those are the the lonely times who do we depend on for our well-being those are the hectic times when we're overwhelmed who do we trust to do his will instead of just being defeated by it all God allows you count it all joy when various trials come into your lives because this is the work that God does through them to bring perseverance that our faith may be complete he prunes those that do bear fruit so when you're going through a difficult time ask the question it's really hard to get to do this because when you're going through a hard time that's the time we're just tempted to be natural but ask the question what is it that God is doing in my life what is it that he's pruning away what is where does he want me to grow because he's doing this so that I may bear more fruit we'll get to in a minute what that fruit uh, is in the next session a section, we find the overwhelming point of this allegory. Jesus is the vine, the Father is the gardener, and he talks about those who don't bear fruit, he cuts off. Those who do bear fruit, he, he cuts back so that they may bear more fruit. And then he commands, abide in me. He says in, in verse three, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in In you, for the most part, as I go through this, as I recognize it, I'm going to use the word "abide" instead of "remain." I think it's the fuller sense of of uh, the Greek behind all of this. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Then he goes into a series of: if you don't abide in me, this will happen. If you do abide in me, then and then if you don't abide in me, if you do, boy, that's underscoring the point. The overwhelming point of the categories are: are you in Christ? Is he in you? Do you live and work out life together? Is it a conscious reality or is your faith just something you believe about? You're in church, you go to church, you're outwardly connected to the vine, but there's no real change. That's where you should hear the warning that Jesus was just giving the Pharisees. If there's no real change, then... Maybe you you look like you're connected, but you're not really connected to Christ. You can be in church and not in Christ. But if you are in Christ, then he gives you the how-tos that we're going to get to in a minute. that call you to be connected with God's people. Hold that thought. So let's see what the, if you do, if you don't, if you do, if you don't. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Verse 4. It must remain, abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Then he says, if you do, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. In the spring, when the leaves come out, that's when I can tell which branches are alive on my trees. Now, the leaves do not cause the branch to be alive. It's a great illustration because our works, the things that we do that are pleasing to God, that are ple- that's not the basis of, of us being alive in Christ, we become alive in Christ when God gives us faith to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, and we are united to Him by faith. It is His work entirely that justifies us before God. But being connected to Him, abiding in Him, shows itself in the springtime, in due season, as the leaves come out on the trees. I never think, oh, those leaves caused the branch to be alive. I say, oh, I see the leaves, so I know the branch is alive. If you abide in Christ, it will change you and you'll produce the kind of fruit in your attitudes and your behavior that is glorifying to God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Some branches, uh, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire And burn. So that's if you don't. If you do abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but that's an astounding promise, isn't it? What does that mean? If you do abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. We find a result in this uh, paragraph. The result is two parts. This is to my father's glory. The change that Christ works in you as you dwell in him and his words dwell in you. The change that happens is glorifying to the father because people will look and say, how can you respond like that? That person hurts you. How can you love that person? This is, this is not the kind of circumstance that people are honest in. You got to, uh, how can you, how can you be honest when it costs you so much at work? The fruit that that you show in your life out of a a conscious uh, living in Christ and wanting to follow him will make others sit up and take notice and say, "How, how can you do that? And you can say, because of Christ in me, this is what he did for me. And so he calls me to love others the way he has loved me. I know that God knows the deepest secrets. I don't hide anything from him. And I want to please him. This is why I do what's right in this circumstance. The Bible says that we shine our lights before men so that they may give praise to the Father in heaven. The self-righteous person that says, I'm so good, this is why God loves me, you're pointing at yourself. The real Christian doesn't point to him or herself, but this is what God has done in me and for me, and this is how I can be this way. It's to God's glory and The second is showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, the leaves are evidence that the branch is alive. The fruit in in our lives is evidence that we belong to Christ, not the basis for why we belong to Christ. We don't earn our way in, but we show it by how we live. Third point, abiding in Christ means to abide in his love. This is more than just a faith. It's a relationship with one who loves us. It it is so familiar to us, we begin to go ho-hum about that. But this is astounding that Christ loves us. He says, abide in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, we can read verse 10 a little bit askew, a little bit wrong if we think, well, Jesus' conditional love is just manipulative. He's saying, if you obey my commandments, you'll abide in my love. When we never earn our way. Later in the passage, she says, you didn't choose me. I've chosen you. It's his work from beginning to end uh, for us and in us and through us. It is an unconditional love. But he's saying, when you have this relationship with me, if you love me, you will obey my commands and know that it's a love relationship. I love you. This is what moved me while you're sinner's to give my life for you, to redeem you, to buy you back so that you can go to heaven. You can be with me where I am. It is my Father and I who have given you the Spirit to change you, to transform you, that you may be mine, that you may be different. This is the relationship I want. It's a love relationship. Do you recognize that the God who created the universe loves you? We know it. Do we know it? This is what Jesus is saying when he says, If, this is, if you're producing the leaves of the, of the, on the tree, the fruit of the Spirit, then you're re- abiding in my love. It proves it, it shows it. And he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. What an astounding statement. It's not just so that you can be happy, but the joy of the Lord may be in us. That's a joy that is deeper than all the stresses of life. If you've come this morning and you're the empty cup, you've played out, you've been hurt, you're spent, you're worn out, you're sick, you're lonely, whatever it is. In this fallen, broken world, there's one thing you know. If you belong to Christ, he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And in giving his life for you, you have the joys of heaven before you that, can, that can't be taken away. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. It, there's a security there, a significance there. It's the joy of the Lord, whatever the circumstance, that wells up within you, whatever the circumstance. And it kind of beats back the hurts and the, the illnesses, the brokennesses. Speaking of which, illnesses. Illnesses. I don't think I have a cold anymore, but boy, I'm sorry. I, I usually don't have to do this. <laughs> Illustration. <laughs> but the joy of the Lord is our strength. He says, "Just abide in me that my joy may be in you." If you think I, I just have no joy in life, then where are you abiding? Are you blaming it on the circumstances? You're blaming it on that other person. Where are you abiding? So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Wow. Is your joy complete? Jesus desires that your joy would be complete. Sometimes denigrate, the Christians denigrate the idea, I want to be happy. Because we can say, I want to be happy, therefore I'm going to do this thing that I know is wrong because it makes me happy. And we don't want to go that route as Christians. But we should know that our Savior, who loves us and gave his life for us, wants our joy to be complete and never taken away. Just think about that when you're at your lowest point. So how do we do this? How do we abide in Christ? There are things that are, have been woven into this passage that I need to go back a few verses to, to get them. But they're basics of church. Church 101. Church 101. It's Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. Where do I get that from? Bible study. Back in verse 3, Jesus said, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus has been teaching them. When the disciples argue about who is the greatest, he taught them, he humbled them, he's pruning them, he's shaping them to have the right uh, attitude at heart. He's showing them by his washing their feet what it means to be a leader as a servant. And he, he leads them to the cross where they understand he pays for their sins. Even when Jesus lets Peter deny him, he humbles Peter so that Peter would be more faithfully his after Jesus restores him. Jesus has been teaching them, and his teaching prunes them. That's how they are clean. Does God's word abide in you? Sometimes we I have this picture in my mind of holding a bucket and an ocean is out there, and this, the wave is coming in and is about to break into that bucket. How much capacity do I have to carry the ocean? Very little. Well, the bucket is like the limits of my understanding, the limits of my capacity to understand. And the word of God is like the ocean. Bible study is like the wave that is breaking, it's pouring into that bucket. Do you know what we often do? We often say, give me only as much as I can understand. Give me what I have the capacity to get. Instead of saying, Lord, increase my capacity to understand your word as you pour it into my life. That's the hunger and thirst for righteousness on Christmas morning, we had all of our family together, and this time I chose to do something really odd for devotions. I read from the Puritan Voices from the Past, which Mary and I use for devotions. We read the Christmas Eve devotional because I thought it was particularly great, but I knew it was hard to understand, talking about the justice and mercy of God satisfied in Christ. And I set up the family. Now, my grandchildren I said, I'm going to read something that you're probably not going to understand, and I'm going to read it next year too, and i read it next year too until you understand it. And so, but I'm not, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to send it out to them before Christmas next year so that our grandchildren can think about it. And I read it, and my oldest, Carter, said, Granddaddy, did you understand that? I said, I did, and I can't wait for you to understand it. You see, the, the goal is that we should want to increase in our ability, our capacity, to understand and comprehend the word of God as it is revealed to us, not just to say, this is what I can understand, this is all I want. Do you have that heart for the word of God? Psalm 1, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's what it takes to grow in our capacity to understand the word of God. The first way we abide in Christ is by abiding in his word. Secondly, it's by prayer, by praying his will. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, that calls back to the Bible study. That we know the mind of God revealed to us in his word. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. The reason this is not the health and wealth gospel is that phrase, and my words abide in you. Later in the passage at the end, it says, then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Then after what it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. He wants us to be transformed by his work in us through his word. And when we are so changed, then God will give us whatever we ask. You know what that means? It means we need to be asking for the right things. If we are asking for the wrong thing, oh God, let me get away, from this, get away with this sin. You know what the loving answer from our Heavenly Father is? No. But there are things we pray for that are not sinful. And God still says no. But underneath every one of those prayers, even for holy things, we should have a deeper prayer. It's exemplified by Christ. When Jesus prayed for something that wasn't sinful. It couldn't be sinful. Jesus is not sinful. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. That was not an unholy prayer. But Jesus had a deeper desire. That He was expressing his desire. He was expressing his humanity. But he knew that was the purpose for which he came. And in that prayer, he was coming to the Father, expressing a deeper prayer, but your will, not mine, be done. Is that your deepest prayer? Do you go to God and say, God, this is what I really, really want, but I know I'm supposed to say, but your will be done. We're not going to get what we really, really want sometimes, lots of times, if our will is, is conflicting with God's will for us. But if we go to God and say, God, I believe this is a holy prayer. I'm praying for the salvation of someone that I love. I'm praying for provision for this day if a job's falling apart. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. I'm praying for fill in the blank. And these are not sinful prayers. Do you have the deeper desire to say, but I know you. I trust you. I'm already convinced that you love me because you sent your son to to die for me. Lord Jesus, I know that, that you are mine and I am yours because you made it possible by your death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, has sent you to, to indwell me. All of this is, is what I know to be true, so I'm convinced of your love and I trust you most. Is that underneath all of our prayers? Where we say, I want your will to be done because you know everything. I don't know everything. I don't know what's best for me. This is a good prayer, but just help me to trust you. When, we, when our wills are aligned with God's will, then God's will will be done. We will get what we want if we want the right things. But it takes that transforming power in our lives that we would want God to be glorified and his will to be done even more than what we think is a good thing right now. That's a good prayer to have. That, that's a big subject. I shall preach that next year until you understand it and come back just like with my grandchildren because I have to preach it to myself all the time. That's not human nature. I fall back into, oh God, why? Why don't you? Lots of times. The third thing is fellowship. And it's not just coffee donut time. That's a, the outward beginning form of fellowship. We have a fellowship time in Sunday school this morning. What grows in our relationships with each other? Jesus says this is the first and foremost thing. In verse uh, 10 and 11, he says, if you obey my commands, you will remain, you will abide in my love. Well, what are his commands? Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and abide in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We usually don't associate the word command with joy. We think command and restraint. But the commands of God are the kind that bring joy. What is the command? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Oh, we're so familiar with that. that we just become numb to it. But it's a source of great joy. And it's not just love each other when they love you back. It's love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. And he introduced that word friends. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, don't turn that into the way we use that. It's kind of a conditional love and a guilt tripping thing and a manipulative thing. If you do what I say, I'll love you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Later in the passage, he takes the initiative. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. God's work in us is a, a saving, gracious gift to us. It's not conditional. It's his work. So what does he mean by this? What he means by it is the relationship that is the result of the transformation of our uh, receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, our belonging to Him, our abiding in Him, and He in us, the result is not a master servant relationship. He is our Lord and He is our Savior. But do you know what He calls us? His friend. That's amazing. Now, I have found myself uh, perhaps mocking. Other uh, churches where uh, they have such a shallow gospel, they just talk about Jesus as my friend. Well, I need to watch the mocking spirit. But there is something to be said for if you, uh, if you don't acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, that you don't need him, you're a good person. And you don't uh, follow him as your Lord, you don't have the desire to obey him. And you say, but he's my friend. no. You're actually at enmity with him because you're acknowledging him. You're not acknowledging him as Savior and Lord. But if you do acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, and that's His work in you to give you that kind of faith and trust, do you know what He calls you? He doesn't call you His servant. He calls you His friend, and that's amazing. The Creator of the universe calls you His friend, and this is what Jesus. Uh, This is the work of Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus chose us for this purpose that we would be his friends. That's what he goes on to say. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Everything that we do in Christ, whether it's a tedious, mundane thing or an extraordinary thing, if it's in Christ, it lasts, it counts forever. It's fruit that lasts, and it begins with loving others, loving other Christians. That's the particular context here. If you have a hard attitude towards another Christian, deal with that. You'll grow faster as a Christian if you deal with that first because that's the first command Jesus gives. And the fruit of that lasts. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You say if we align ourselves with God's will, It's fruit that will last, and he gives us whatever we ask, and then he comes back to conclude. It's like, if we missed it before, this is my command, love each other. When we stand before Christ in heaven, forgiven of our sins because he paid for them, will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And when he says that, what does your mind usually go to? Doesn't it go to accomplishments? Obedience to this command is, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you really loved when it was hard to love. I know that spouse I gave you was a hard spouse, but you loved because I loved you. I know that your children didn't respond the way you wished they had and they maybe didn't honor you, but you loved them the way I loved you. Well done. Your parents may have hurt you and, and, uh, and, and disappointed you, but instead of responding to them with bitterness, you, you dwelt in me. And my love was in you. And you loved them the way I loved you. Well done. Have you ever aspired to that? That's his first and foremost command here. Is that what we want to hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You loved one another when it was hard. Hmm. That'll change you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us. Uh, to abide in you that we would delight in your word that we would align our will to what yours most of all and pray for that whatever we're praying for and I pray that you would enable us to be obedient to the command to love one another when there are obstacles to that help us see what those obstacles are because they're rooted in our own sinful nature I pray that you would do this work in us that The fruit you produce in our lives will be the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace that counts forever. That you would say to us on that day, well done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.